Michael Dialinas, and you're listening to Superior Spider Talk. Welcome to the Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of GrindMyReels.com. And I'm Mark Janacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for the 18th episode of Superior Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. And for episode 18, we'll be discussing Superior Spider-Man 19, which concludes the recent 2099 arc. We'll then move to some listener feedback from you, our amazing listeners, and conclude with a discussion of one of our classic issues. This time around, based on some of the events of Superior 19, we'll be discussing the iconic Amazing Spider-Man number 33. If you want to skip to a specific section, just use the chapter selection arrows on your player. Also, if you hear this sound... Please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. And now let's get on with our review of Superior Spider-Man 19. All right, so Superior Spider-Man 19, Dan, I will say that for me, this was probably my favorite issue of the series since the epic Superior number 9. Um, if, if I had one complaint uh, about it, I'll just get this out out front. It's um, the fact that uh, you know, this arc was building towards this confrontation between um, Otto and Miguel O'Hara, and we never really had it. Um, they kind of interacted a little bit. You know, you had Otto call him a lout, which is always a good time in the beginning. But but then um, it seems like Slot got um, Dan Slot started building towards some um, threads that went beyond the interaction between Otto and Miguel. But for me, I liked the threads. I liked what Slot was introducing here. I think there was a lot of good uh, future building on this story. Um, I think for me, to me, this feels like the start of a third and final act on the Superior Spider-Man play. Maybe we'll be wrong, but you know, we, we, we did get teased with the end for that upcoming Goblination arc, and I feel like we're now starting to move towards an end game here. What do you think? Yeah, you know, we complained with issue 14 that we weren't going to see this stuff yet, and now we're finally getting it. You know, it's, it is all coming down around Ock, and I think th- this issue, uh, I guess, is probably the best example of that. Although, uh, this is not my favorite issue of the series, uh, unlike you, um, since issue nine, obviously. But, um, you know, we've been waiting so long for this to happen. I feel like we pulled a trigger on a gun and it's all happening at once. And uh, personally, I, I wanted to spend a little more time with some of the developments that go on here. There are so many developments in this comic. I mean, we're going to go through them, and there are so many of them. You know, I, I just... 
I wish I had more time to really feel an emotional connection to them a little bit more. Um, I feel like Slot does one or the other. He either does like a holy emotional issue like the death of Marla or her funeral. Like that was a really emotional issue. Or he does these ones where he jam packs in story as fast as he can. And I wonder if I, we could have had a little more, more, bit more of the middle ground. I, I see what you're saying. I mean, for me, like, I mean, just because slots setting up a lot of different things here doesn't still mean that we're going to have a rush to the ending. I mean, like, you know, we're, we're at issue 19, you know, we, we have speculated from, um, I don't, I don't want to say the get go, but you know, for a while now we've been thinking that this, this arc is probably, this whole superior story is probably going somewhere into the thirties. So, I mean, we, there's still a good dozen, or more issues to to unravel these things. I mean, you know, we obviously have the Carly Cooper reveal, some stuff with MJ, and then of course the scene that you know I, I think got a lot of Peter Parker fans excited. This the the, the double spread uh, uh, panel of Ock, uh, Otto trying to access his memories, and then on the lower half of the page you have Peter fighting his way out of the wreckage, just as you Dan predicted. Um, would you like to gloat for a few seconds about that? I I I just will uh, just absorb all of your good feelings towards me through the atmosphere because I could I could imagine all of our listeners turning to that page and going, "Dan was right," because I was right. You were right. No, I I mean it was it was a great call from you from the get go. I think it, you were really reading the symbolism. Um, you were putting yourself in Slot's shoes, which you know I think we. Some, I think we sometimes react so much to what Dan Slott does that we don't actually try and think like him, if that makes sense. Um, just because, I mean, you know, we know we all know Dan Slott is the world's biggest Spider-Man fan. I really don't think you can argue that point. Um, so, of course, he, you know, if, if we're going to have water and rubble and, uh, and an epic confrontation between Peter and Otto Octavius, I think we're going to have a callback to that scene. And you were the one who was able to kind of put aside the emotions of the issue and spot that. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to to actually see it because I thought it was such a cool idea. I was going to be a little upset if it was left uh, like not being done because it's so perfectly poetic. I can't imagine him not setting that up. So I was really just happy to see it because – that's what I would have wanted, obviously, and, and it happened. But I think now that that's happened, and it was perfectly in line with Amazing Spider-Man 33, which we're going to talk about later in the episode, but it raises some bigger questions like, like first off, how has this happened? Uh, is Parker still a part of the few memories that Ock has already accessed? You know, like, uh, well, first I wanted to ask you, do you feel like this is like a cheat like, I feel a little cheated that this is, like, how it happened, that he accessed his memory and Peter's coming back. Like, that we're all still a part of our memories, I guess. But um, do you feel like that's kind of a cheat way out of this? Um, no, I don't. I, I, I kind of feel like this, if it was going to be done, this was how it was going to be done. I, 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 I think that... Um. You know, the the last image we had of Peter in the mindscape was was him being it wasn't him being erased, it was him being buried. Yeah. Um so what is he being buried by? I mean, you know, we're, we're I'm not gonna attempt to use legitimate science to explain this, but I, to me, I feel like 
my interpretation of that wasn't so much that he was scrubbed out as much as he was pushed down. So what would what would it take to get him to be unearthed? Be unearthed. And I think, you know, Otto, I mean, for the first time really since um since uh Superior Nine, uh, you know, we had those scenes of Otto in Peter's place living Peter's memories and and the fact that he was searching those memories so hard to get the information he needed for the reverbian scene in Superior 19, I, I, to me that makes sense. I don't think it's a cheat. I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to separate myself from like what I've been hearing from the whole Spider team where they're saying, like, Peter is dead. He is dead, dead. He is gone. He's erased. And he very clearly has not been. Um, but well, he's physically dead. Yeah, he's not yes, mentally yes, dead. Yes, I mean, yes. but this is but this was the setup from the get go. I mean, this was why. I mean, if you go back to my initial reaction to Amazing Spider-Man Seven Hundred, I was like, "You're going to tell me there, people are going to tell me for the next year and change or whatever, however long they want to do this, that Peter Parker is dead." And I don't believe it. I don't believe it because the whole premise of Superior Spider-Man is that this is Otto Octavius in Peter's body. Using Peter's memories. Yeah. So it's like – so the body's there and the brain chemistry is there. It's just, it's just not Peter. It's Otto in control. So it's, it's, it's going to come down to a fight for control of the body, I think. I think that's always, that's, that's, that is where this is ultimately going to go. I don't think Peter is going to inhabit the body of somebody else like a clone or Green Goblin or any of the other crazy theories that we've, that we've had thrown out there. I think that this is, this is going to be an internalized battle for the soul of Spider-Man, which is what we're, what we're basically headed towards, in my opinion. Um, so I think when you set up a concept that's that kind of you know, high-minded and, and, and not concrete, it You're gives you a get, bit of a leeway to Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like I know there were some people like, oh maybe maybe Peter is still you know, the way they bring Peter back is he's still inhabited in like the living brain. I I've heard that from a couple of people. Now you've heard and that then, from me too. Was it you too? Okay. I mean I just I, because I, of how funny that would be that Otto would be undermined by someone he sees as so inferior to him. I think it would almost be the perfect uh Way of of showing like how much he disregards those directly around him. No, and 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 I agree that it would be funny, but I don't know if it makes sense because yeah. I mean it, it's it's still Peter's body, and it's still established that he's using Peter's mind and memories. He hasn't in nine issues, and which is part of the reason why he's become this out of control egomaniac. You know, the the story of redemption is long gone. Which is set something else up, which I'll get to in a second about, I guess, the tone of the series. But no, I, 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 to me, they're still playing within the rules that they establish. Like this is not breaking any rules. The other question that I have is, how much can Peter possibly remember when he returns? You know, in issue nine, all of his memories of himself and those around him were eradicated. Will he regain all the core memories that are the ones that Ah can access now? Like. Who is he going to be when he comes back? And I got to ask you, Mark, 
Do you think that this is the creative team's final attempt to return Peter back to his origins? Is this them trying to do one more day, like, right? Like, getting him back to who he was when he was popular in the 60s and 70s? So will this get Peter back to his origins? I, I, maybe. Maybe this is this is how they reboot the series. I mean, um, it, there seems to be this kind of um, intentional thing from Marvel and all comic book companies to, you know, the, the, the era of high numbering seems gone. And I wonder if, you know, the end of the superior era and the return of Peter just leads to the relaunch of another series. You know, it's amazing. Spider-Man might really be done outside of these point one issues that they keep trying to release. Um, I don't know if I agree with that. I think that name is too marketable. Yeah. Or maybe it's the amazing Peter Parker or maybe, I don't know. I know what you're saying, but, um, I don't know. I, 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 I can see this going into another hard reboot of the series starring Peter Parker. And, and, you know, maybe I think, I think the, the world that he's living in is still going to be what it is in current continuity. I don't think it's like, he's going to, I don't think we're going to go back in time and relive stuff. Ultimate style. Yeah, you know and, I mean? he's, and he's going to have to deal with the repercussions of all this. I just wonder if this is their way of doing like a clean slate and saying like, okay, now we've got him back to square one without all of the com- like all the complications of his relationships and who he is. Is this now Peter Parker just straight up? But you still have to maintain the Uncle Ben and Aunt May dynamic because that's why he is who he is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. How I mean, that's the out. thing. I mean, like, like, you know, cause then it becomes like, how much do you cut from the bone? So to speak, you know what I mean? Like where, where, where does that end? I mean, yeah. I mean, that could be a way to clean break officially from MJ and Carly and Anna Maria and all these other people and that Harry and Harry Osborne and et cetera. But you know, you can't cut too far because then why is he Spider-Man? Yeah, you're right. So it was just an interesting idea because to me it seems like this could be a great way to have handled the like whole one more day thing, the undoing of a marriage and the undoing of the things that have made Spider-Man so complicated. But they I, card, kind of already did all that hard work of doing that when they put Dan Slott on the book. You know, yeah. so like uh, it's just funny because I feel like for me, and I, I don't know that I think this is a reboot per se, but I, I, I think it's interesting that Dan Slott is doing what they probably should have done in the first place. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, this is this is the better version of Brand New Day, and one more day in terms of how to start Peter over. Yeah, at least romantically. Um, if I could backtrack with you though, one one second, just going back to that that double page spread, um, j- just from a sheer art standpoint, what did you think of Stegman's job on that? I thought it was really phenomenal. I mean, it's, it, it, it's not like perfectly penciled in, in a, it's so as to reflect the fact that he's reaching into like, you know, fuzzy memories. But, um, man, I loved seeing his interpretation of all those scenes, all the different art styles. 
um, that were from those different eras. To me, this is the best looking pages of the book. Um, with yeah. Those two pages. And what's kind of funny though is, I mean, when I first saw that spread, I almost missed Peter's silhouette. The way you know what I mean, like your 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 eye naturally grabs to the memories up top that you almost miss the key elements of the bottom, which I thought was kind of sneaky. Yeah, and it's probably the point of it too, right? You know, it's he's not all the way back. It's a subtle hint. Yes. Or maybe not so subtle, but it is there um, right. to kind of guide you back, yeah. No, agreed, agreed. Um, so if, if, if we could, I just want to talk a little bit about the tone of the series now or what I, I guess what I think and hope the tone will be going forward. So, I mean, we've, we've superior is kind of, and this is why I kind of likened it to a three act play. Um, you know, I feel like superior is kind of like had these major tonal shifts where like the first nine episodes, nine issues were kind of centered on this idea of doc Ock trying to understand what it means to be a hero and, 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 um, you know, what does that mean? Does that redeem him or what? I, you know, we, we can, we can argue about the redemption elements of that. Um, and then the second act, um, which kind of peaked with Shadowland, you know, which we talked about was kind of more about just Otto and his ego run amok and, you know, him at his most potent, um, this final act seems to, you know, looks like it's shaping up to be him getting this comeuppance, but it just like, I mean, he's going to do that. Da- there's still going to be damage to Peter and his reputation along the way, but like this understanding that Otto, Octa- Otto Gunther Octavius <laughs> cannot be a hero. And I'm, I want to read, like we, we talked during the last issue, are, the, are these characters we want to keep reading about? I, this is a story I would like to read about. There's, there's some kind of schadenfreude satisfaction that comes from watching this all fall apart on Otto. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I do for the most part, yeah. I mean, I feel like, to me, that this is part of the reason why the story was so elevated to me. Because like, I feel like you know, the, the pin was finally pulled from the structure and it's, it's, it's starting to collapse. And, you know, I, I hate the structure so much. I want to see it collapse. Not saying I hate superior Spider-Man, the the series, but like I'm done with Otto being this dominant force masquerading. Like, you know, at the end of the day, this series is not going to be about us trying to learn to sympathize with one of Spider-Man's greatest villains of all time. And I'm okay with that. I'm happy about that. Because I think that if they started to try and turn Spider-Man into an anti-hero or like, you know, misunderstood or he's a villain, but at the core, he's a good person. It it would kind of feel cheap in terms of 50 years of continuity, including events from the story that we're going to talk about a little later in this issue. Uh, in this episode. So, I, I mean, for me, like, that's that's why I'm, like, I'm amped up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready for the next 10 issues. I don't expect that everything is going to be this satisfying going, but, like, I, you know, it, the, the, the tower's clearly ready to fall. For me, the, the, the best part of this book is the moment where he admits that he's the inferior Spider-Man, and I think that's what we've been building towards for quite a while. And I think artistically... Um, that that panel is done really well as he's being wiped away by by the light. Um, I, I really enjoyed that moment. Did, was that was that a standout to you? Oh, absolutely. That was like 
there were you know beyond the the the, the memory spread um there were two moments that really clicked with me there was the inferior spider-man and then there was the scene a little later where otto comes back from the dead <laughs> and we could talk a little bit about where he was those eight hours but um i enjoyed that his his initial reaction was like oh i've been dead for eight hours do i issue a press release do i call the avengers it just shows the level of you don't get it you know what i mean like like otto octavius you don't get it like you're an idiot you know i mean that's that was my like you know like like what a tool that was my reaction to it i'm sure that's what slot was going for but um like like you know what what did you think about that <laughs> yeah i enjoyed that i think it's a funny little bit there you know what i mean like what what do you do if you've been gone i mean does anybody care you know that that's the bigger question i left away was like everybody hates you like nobody cares that you've been gone for 8 hours like and I mean, except for the people who left messages on his phone, who are who we then later find out have pretty much given up on him. And I that led into the Mary Jane moment, um, which I liked a fair bit. Um, yeah, I think it's the first moment where she doesn't really seem like an idiot. Like, and it does a lot to sell her motives for continuing to hang around after all that Peter has done to her. You know, she's eternally his friend. Um, but at the same time, I do think that we're treading a bit of ground here. Because um, didn't he tell her that he was moving on in issue two? Well, I think he told her that they weren't going to be romantically linked. But, I mean, I don't know. They were still friends, I thought. I thought that the window was still open for friendship. Yeah. Um, no, I, I mean, I I agree with you in the fact that I thought that was a good little scene. I mean, you know, there he, here we have again MJ basically getting as much face time in this issue as she did last issue, but um I felt this issue was infinitely more powerful because of just kind of the enough is enough reaction instead of just the what we got in superior 18 which was oh, uh, I'm still here. Don't forget about me, you know. I'm angry though, you know. <laughs> Like it was, it didn't, it didn't advance anything. Whereas at least this one advanced it. Um, I still question. I mean, I don't know. MJ has been with, has has certainly been around some wacky stuff during her time with Spider Man, and the fact that you know she she kind of explains it all away as, oh, I know you're upset about Sable and Odd and Doc Ock and and all these other things that have happened to you recently, but I'm I'm moving on and and. You know, I still would like to see MJ at least have a little more clue about what might be going on. Yeah, Not you that. know, uh, d- d- building giant robots and demolishing an entire part of the city is totally in line with losing a loved one. Right. It just seems weird to me. Like, like I, I, I'm not. You know, the, the, one of the biggest complaints if you read the the cranky sections of the internet about Spider-Man has been like, oh, you know, everyone is just an idiot about the fact that this isn't Peter. And, you know, I see that point to some degree, but I, I mean, it's not that I need somebody to turn around and be like, you clearly switched brains with somebody. You know what I mean? But like, there, I do, I do agree that there needs to be a little more of an understanding of this, this, this can't just be explained away by like, 
silver silver sable died and you're still broken up about it especially with mary jane because she's the one that knows his secret like everybody else is like oh peter's acting funny like they when they don't have the like mind space to put it in the context of oh but he regularly interacts with supervillains like you know mary jane has that in her mind she knows his you know life and so it shouldn't be, you know, she shouldn't be operating along the same lines as everybody else, especially given the knowledge that she has, you know? Absolutely. I think that's just what it boils down to. It's, 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 you know, it was a good scene and I liked it a lot. It was so much better than what we saw in Superior 18, but I still think that um, Slot is taking shortcuts with MJ. Yeah, and let's let's say this too. MJ is not a flawless individual. I mean, like this kind of makes me upset with her because she's like, "Yeah, what happened to you coming and saving me with the fire?" And he's like, "I sent like people to you to help you." And she's like, "Okay, but that's not enough." Like, and I kind of agree with her that he probably should have checked in and be like, "Did you make it out of that okay?" But at the same time, she's like way over reliant on Peter at the same time. No, definitely. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about Miguel O'Hara, if you, if you don't mind. Oh, uh, I don't mind at all. Okay, no, I don't, want, I don't want to cut off MJ stuff, but I don't want to dwell too much. Um, so, okay, I mean, I mentioned earlier up front that I was a little disappointed that we never had, like, a true confrontation to end, to kind of end that, that part of the story. Right, with, and the, uh, one, the one that we did have is just uh, Ock punching O'Hara for no reason at all. Yes, and then, and then there was that weird scene where Modell was like, "This is the, you know, this referring to 2099. This is the Spider-Man we should be listening to." Which that that just made no sense to me. Yeah, he's like telling everybody to do what uh, Otto is saying, and then he's like, after that, he's like, "But we should be listening to the other one." And it was like, wait, that just goes against what you've been saying the whole beginning of this story. Right. <laughs> it just it's just a strange moment. Um, but I will say so. Okay, um, the resol- resolution with Miguel now is I, I feel like we kind of s- set up a wacky sitcom of Miguel O'Hara to Tiberius Stone. I mean, it, obviously, do, do you think that Slot did this to kind of just table the idea in order to come back to in a later Spider-Man story? Or do you think that this was done to set up separate wacky adventures, perhaps in a miniseries, perhaps in a in a in a it's on its own ongoing resurrecting 2099. You have any ideas with that? Who knows? But, um, you know, I think we would have heard about that at the comic con, New York comic con. If they were, you know, like that would have been an announcement they would have made. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think it's just going to be all in this title. Like, I think that 2099 is now going to become, or Miguel O'Mara as he's going by, uh, very, very subtle. Um, I imagine that he is going to just be a character um, in this book going forward um, and maybe to the end of Superior. There will definitely be – knowing Dan Slott and his seeding things for future issues, we will get another arc around 2099 involving sending him back to the future. Yeah. I mean I don't know. Like I said, I just – I, I kind of wish that we would have gotten more than just kind of a, a, a Seinfeldian – uh, oh, I'm going to be your butler now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's the show about nothing. <laughs> this um, all-powerful evil organization uh, taken down by one man's quick lie. Yes. Uh, so what do we think about um, what happened with Modell and Horizon in this issue? Um, major, obviously, status quo changes there. 
Yeah, I mean, I wish more time was spent on on the actual destruction of Horizon and what that means for our character because that was such a big thing. And I, I mentioned the other episode that I thought it was kind of such a small little point that he got fired. Like, this feels almost the same way, too. I mean, we get a little bit more here, but um, it's kind of just kind of funky how it's done. You know, at least I feel that way. Like, Jameson's like, well... You can if you leave the city, I'll get the feds off your back. Which it's like, all right, Jameson. Like, what kind of a political figure are you here? Like, he is pulling some strings that I don't even know if he's able to pull. Yeah, um, yeah. And and you know, it, the fact that I mean, they've been reduced to what, like a secret organization on a boat. I mean, that just it's. I mean, that that that. But to me, like that's begging more development down the road. Absolutely. I mean, and and, and I have a feeling that. Based on Modell's kind of now we're even to Spider-Man, that I wouldn't be shocked to see Horizon play a role in either fully exposing Otto or bringing back Peter. Yeah, well now uh, you know Otto has uh, Sajani as his uh, assistant. Yeah, and Modell was like incredibly like rude to her like nope i'm not inviting you because i don't trust you anymore i guess probably because she held on to the reverbium yeah Um, but i was like oh man that's kind of harsh like you know well well he's been burned now so i I actually kind of got i i didn't that didn't bother me at all yeah i mean it didn't bother me i was like ouch man yeah well i mean is is it any more of an ouch than robbie robertson firing nora winters after her boyfriend was revealed as the homicidal hobgoblin yeah yeah no that's that that still takes the cake robbie is a serious a-hole it's like it's like who 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 deserves a a punch in the nuts in the spider-man universe i think robbie's still number one but maybe modell with what he did here is number two You know, just just in case for those who rank this stuff. Um, anything else story wise you wanted to tackle here? Yeah, one thing I want to talk about is like just my feelings about this story because I don't really feel like I've I've really gotten across like this story worked for me, but I didn't love it, and I think one of the reasons is because um, there's there's so much reliance on all these technical mumbo jumbo in this story that like. I guess it's been built up for quite a while, but it all results in kind of like a pushing of a button, which I thought was actually kind of a great moment with especially utilizing the the lettering to create these sound effects and the rejection of his his uh code. But, you know, if if it was based more in character rather than in plot, I think I would feel a lot more uh connected to the story, and I feel like these three issues have been very plot heavy. Um and it just comes down to what I like as a Spider-Man story. I don't feel, like, so tied to the character of Spider-Man in this as I do, like, all the crazy things that are happening in his world. I mean, we have the birth of a new company, Alchemax, this giant new evil organization that I guess has, like, supplanted Oz, Ozcorp, as they're calling it, instead of Osborne Industries, Um you know, in this universe, and it's just like, boop, well, there's a new building up, like, whatever, like, <laughs> let's yeah. just, you know, cling glasses together, and I, like, I don't feel the, like, the scary power of what that might be, like, that would normally be a whole issue just built around, like, the, the uh, new building of this giant force in Spider-Man's world, you know? 
But I think that we come back to that. I do. I really do. I mean, and I'm not trying to, I, I think that an issue like this demonstrates why slot is such a good long-term storyteller because, and, and, you know, I, I catch myself doing this where I get kind of, I don't want to say cranky, but like, well, what about this? And what about that? And then he, he does pay it off or he does come back to it. You know, like it's like, put a, you know, put a pin in that we'll come back to it. And, and I think these things that we're talking about 10 episodes, 10, 10 issues from now, we're going to be talking about, well, that got resolved and that's cool. But wait, what about all this other stuff now? You know what I mean? It's like, it's just kind of what slot I think specializes in. It's like his, it's, it's his, um, his, um, calling card as a writer on this title. Um, so it's not that I disagree with you. I, I, I mean, like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm so much at the point where I have to just wait and see. And that doesn't mean that you can't look at each issue individually and be like, well, wait, did this, did this scratch the certain ish itch that you have as a reader? Did this, did this work? Did this not work? I mean, I still maintain, and you know, I know we're gonna have some fan mail that addresses this. That I still maintain that issue 18 didn't work for me. It just felt too disjointed. But for me, I felt setting up all these other things. There was, there was, there was more flow to it. There, it, it felt more organic. It felt natural. It didn't feel like, um, it was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta work this in now. I gotta work this in now, and and you know, it's like we're we're seeing the snippets, and I wouldn't be shocked if we come back to it. Yeah, and I don't want to belabor on this too much, but like uh, talking about issue eighteen, which like you know, that is an issue of teases. Like there is almost no story in that issue, more than it is like here's a bunch of little things happening, and right. this story is a lot better. You know, like it, it has a story in it. But I wonder if those little teases were excised from this, if we'd have a richer and more thoughtful story going on. And I don't want to pick on this issue because I think it's something that we should always be conscious of when we're reading these is, are we getting a main course or are we getting a bunch of like sides, you know? And I think we get the main course here. Um, right. But I just, it's just been something that's been rattling around in my brain. Okay. No, that's fair. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the artwork? Um, I know you always have some fun things to say about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel very similarly about this issue as I do the last one. I think it's a better looking issue. It has some really nice, like we mentioned the double page spread. Um, but, um, you know, and I think Stegman is a, does a lot of things here, like some really cool, um, uh, dynamic images with, you know, there's, there's, there's great stuff with the Wraith, um, attacking, uh, the cars in, where is she? Oh, some South American country. Oh, no, it's an island. It's like a Cayman Island, right? Yeah, that's it. She's at the Cayman Islands. And, um, like, they use the tendrils of her, like, wraith, whatever those things are, her lie detector test tendrils. Yeah, her fear her fear things. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, um, and they use that to kind of really add a lot of dynamism to the images. And there's a scene um, where Carly breaks into the office at the end to get the papers and all the papers go flying everywhere and mm-hmm. it really like fills up the image in an interesting way. Um, and so I think Stegman does a lot of good things in this issue that would, that make this more dynamic than it would normally be because it's kind of a very word heavy issue. Um, yeah. and so I, I like that. I also liked, um, just his, his, his interpretation of the deteriorating, deteriorating, um, people in the, in the present. 
Yeah, it's kind of really weird to think about them like still in inter- like like acting like moving around. It's very comic booky because like their brain is straight up gone, but they're still right. you know the, so long as they are drawn on the page, they still exist. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one of the things I still want to keep coming back to is I don't think that Stegman's facial work is as interesting as someone like Ramos. You know his, his facial work is like many of the characters in this book when they're not featured like in the scene, they kind of look like they're checked out as they like stand around the background. You know they kind of have these blank expressions on their faces, um, and I I was never a big fan of this whole bubbles of time. Those like holes in the time space continuum that were going on these yellow bubbles. To me, it made the work a bit messy. Um, you know for for segment even you know compare this to issue nine. I think that there's no comparison between the quality of the works. I actually showed this to a friend of mine who's not a comic book reader last night and said, like, what do you think of these two issues, you know, in terms of art? And he's like, well, I don't have enough to judge. But I'm like, no, just as a layman, like, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, that one's way better, like issue nine. Um, And that might be a lot to say because I think issue nine is a fantastic issue. But um, it leads me to point the finger maybe at uh, Live Say – um, who I think is a far heavier inker than Stegman is. He likes to like fill in the shadows and give all these little scratchy details. But I'm not sure that this style fits with Slot's writing or the Spider-Man character all the time. It's just too gritty. And it, I think it removes some options from Edgar Delgado when it comes to coloring because he has to work around all these heavy inks. And I love Edgar Delgado. I think that guy is a wizard. Like I think he does something unnatural um, <laughs> with... with uh, with his artwork. Um, and the best part of the issue is when the inker, I think, has stepped back and we get those recreations of Spider Past in his memories mm-hmm. because they're not heavily inked. And we allow, it allows the, the art to kind of like breathe a little bit. Yeah. That was no, my I... long soliloquy. What do you think? Yes. No. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I – I enjoyed the art in this issue. I thought I thought Stegman really was on top of it. I kind of liked the busyness of it, um, which will tie into. We're, we're not going to talk at length about it, but when we mention quickly Marvel Knights, and um, I think we have polarizing views on the art in that a bit. So maybe maybe for me that just works. I like I like the busier spreads, um, and you know. Things like that, but I, I, I mostly, I, I, I know what you're saying, and I mostly agree with it. But like, it just doesn't. I, I I'm not. I don't say upset, and you're not. Not that you're upset by it, but I'm not. I'm not. It doesn't bother me. How does that sound? Yeah, I'm uh, still operating on a really high level of comic book art. I just, it's not something that I'm preferential to. So, Mark, what, uh, what grade would you give this issue? All right. Well, we're we're we're, we're crossing back into a territory. I'm going to give it an A minus. Um, which is, I think, the highest grade I've given an issue since nine. So I, I'm not a liar. <laughs> it's my favorite issue since nine. Uh, what about you, Dan? I uh, I'm going to give this one a B. Um, I liked it a little bit less the first time I read it, but I read it again uh, digitally and really got to getting close to the images. And for some reason, that worked a lot better for me than reading it on the page. Um, maybe I was getting labeled to sit better with it and look through the images a little more closely. Um, and I could give this thing a B plus. I like this issue. I didn't love it because it just didn't like hook me. Like an, like an, I think like an A issue, I should be emotionally invested in, and I just didn't feel that here. Um, so I'm gonna give it a B. It's a good issue, not my favorite. 
I think this is probably the the biggest discrepancy between our grades yet. So you Ooh, know, Mark, look at this. We're we're breaking up. I know. Put a pin in that, Dan, because we'll come back to that. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, so why don't we transition a little bit um, before we get into some reader mail and comments? Uh, we just want to you know kind of programming note here. Uh, we know that there's some other. Uh, Spider-Man relevant storylines going on out there. Uh, most notably, the, the Marvel Knights mini that launched uh, in early October. That's written by uh, Mind, Management, Mind Management's Matt Kint and uh, illustrated by Marco Rudy, who I think is from uh, Swamp Thing, I believe. Um, and then we got this Arms of the Octopus three-parter that's in that crosses over into X-Men, Hulk, and then Superior as kind of individual one-shots. Uh, we will um, touch on those, give more formal reviews of those series when um, when the minis are complete. Does that sound about right, Dan? Um, yeah, I feel I feel like it's not fair to really judge these, especially Marvel Knights, um, as individual issues because I think, especially Marvel Knights, is meant to be read as a trade. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I did speak to Matt Kent at New York Comic Con, and we'll we'll have those interviews up uh, eventually. But you know, he talked a little bit about the process going into it. I mean, I actually thought it was kind of interesting hearing him talk about how he came to this, and 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 you know, I don't want to spoil the interview for you, but um, it if it reads very isolated and kind of disconnected there's a reason for that. As a whole, I really I, I enjoyed that first issue. I thought it was kind of really eclectic and different and i liked how different it was um i think it kind of disagrees with the idea that that we've heard from marvel that in terms of superior and this is not a knock at superior but um superior is is being done because we need to tell new kinds of stories with spider-man and i feel like this marvel knights is a is an example of a new kind of a story using peter parker but is it peter parker i know you kind of had some issues with that but just Oh, I, I I like the idea of this. Yeah, um, I don't hate it. I just was not a big fan of the issue. I feel like there's the storytelling is really confusing, and I mean that's kind of the point. You know, there's he's kind of tripping the whole time, but I needed a little bit more to ground myself in terms of like what I was reading. I like flat out missed some things, and there's just not a lot of story here. And so as like art spreads, I was like, ah, some of these are really cool. Like the artist obviously spent an incredible amount of time creating these pages. I mean, they are, there's so much detail here in these pages that it's almost astounding. Right. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I like that. I think it's a little too wild in terms of how divergent the art style is, but I'm willing to keep reading and seeing if more story develops but if it keeps being this for all five issues of him just kind of tripping through, like meeting all these villains and having fights with them that I don't really, I'm not really invested in, um, I'm not going to enjoy it. So I, I feel like it'll be worth talking about at a later date. Yeah, yeah, we'll come. Ba- yeah, we'll come back to it. Um, and then in terms of Arms of the Octopus, I mean, I think that the second issue kind of. The the Hulk tie-in really kind of set me off. Uh, my initial reaction to um, the first part of it was like, ah, this is this is harmless enough, but it seems pretty inconsequential. Um, but then you know some reveals in the second issue have kind of set me in a foul mood about it. So I, I'm not really looking forward to how it concludes. Um, but um, I think overall, I think what's good about these series 
uh, is that we're bringing new talent into the fold. And, you know, these, these are, these are some like really kind of top up and coming people. And, and we're, we've seen it on superior um, team up as well. I mean, I know, I'm not a huge fan of it, but Michael Del Mundo's art the last two issues has really seemed to inspire a lot of people. And it's, it's, you know, good to see these new, new people like Matt Kent and, uh, Michael, Michael Thialinas, who we also interviewed at Comic-Con, who's going to draw the last, um, superior Spider-Man, uh, tie into this arms of the octopus and Marco Rudy. It's good to see them, uh, get, get a crack at, at Spider-Man. Yeah, and I've been enjoying um, Arms of the Octopus. I, I never thought it would be really a substantial thing, but I think the writing is just really joyful, and I've been having a great time with it. So I just like it. It's fun, campy, old-school storytelling, but I agree with you. There's a reveal in the Hulk issue that kind of makes it feel really inconsequential, and I was kind of disappointed that there wasn't a smarter reasoning behind who these characters are yeah i mean just it's just i mean without without spoiling anything i mean it's just you know you have a really cool concept on paper what if doc ock were to come back and you know i feel like it the the opportunity to really tell uh, an interesting smart story kind of went out the window with what the reveal was in the, the the hulk issue um but like you said it's fun it's it's there's nothing it's campy it's very old school very silver age i mean i even feel like the art has a very silver age aesthetic to it and we have hulk with puppies so you know what's not to love about hulk with puppies and beast trying to date before he becomes a monster like uh, yeah that sounds like fun to me um so why don't we why don't we jump into some comments comments and whatnot dan awesome Well, of course, you can email us any comments or questions you have regarding this podcast to superiorspidertalk at gmail.com, and we'll read and answer them on the show. Also, don't forget to go to our iTunes page and leave us a review. The only way we grow as a community is through your reviews. So let's get to the comment you left us this time. Mark, do you want to read the comment left for us? Well, gladly, Dan. Um, this one is titled Tooth Whips Up. It's a five out of five, and it's uh, by Web Shooters, who's also known as Brendan Anderson. Uh, and he writes us, this is truly a great podcast, exactly the thoughtful, reasoned, well-thought-out, and passionate kind of discussion about the current run of Spider-Man titles you've been looking for. Dan and Mark, through their encyclopedic knowledge of Spider-Man history, provide a healthy dose of context as they examine current issues. I mean, really, if you don't know who the hypno-hustler is, then how can you accurately judge the overall merits of today's storylines? It's very true. Uh, prepare to get an education as the two superior Spider-Sages open up your world of all things Spider-Man. The IO enhancements of supporting visuals during the show are a great technical touch as well what are you waiting for toss the spider tracer onto this podcast subscription feed and enjoy yes dan your 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 ios um madness and awesomeness never to amaze yeah uh it's nice to hear because uh i've heard so little uh response about it and it takes a lot of time to do but uh, oh, I, I, I've, I heard, awesome. I've heard from a lot of people who like what like the the iOS enhancements, Dan. So, so oh, give yourself more credit than that. Um, and one other thing, like Brendan Anderson, uh, nice written review here. Like, are you Stan the Man in disguise? Superior Spider Sages. That's some serious alliteration there. That's right. That's that's you know that's like someone who wants to name everybody Peter Parker or uh, Bruce Banner. 
Yes, thank you. Anyway, um, so um, we got a little bit. We got another thing from Brendan too, though, right? Yeah, um, he sent us a wonderful email that's way too long to read in its entirety on the show. So I thought I'd read a few parts of it because it brings up some questions and ideas that I've seen in other places about our review of issue eighteen, and I thought they were worth addressing. And we may, we've kind of talked to them about them already, but we'll go into it a little bit more. Um, and because it was such a wonderful email. So here's what he says. He says, uh, I think you both missed the mark on what was a brilliant bit of writing pacing on Slot's part in Superior Spider-Man 18. In fact, most of all the objections you raised in the podcast were precisely the intended point of the issue. Let me explain. You said yourselves that Spock's ultimate undoing will undoubtedly be his unchecked ego. I have no doubt that you're correct. Spock's hubris and pride is at a level so high that he believes he and he alone can solve every single one of the problems that are currently rearing their head. But in issue 18, Slot masterfully shows how that isn't possible, and that in trying to do so, Spock is in fact causing all the threads to unravel faster and faster. So the reason the issue feels haphazardly paced is because Spock is haphazardly dashing from problem to problem with no real plan. The issue feels unfocused because Spock is supremely unfocused, running from saving his precious Horizon inventions to punching Spidey 29 to keeping track of his girlfriend to finding Hobgoblin and on and on, because he wants to do everything himself. Spock's world is crashing down around him, just like the plot threads of this issue are flying in all directions. The fact that it trips your brain's disjointed switch is, I believe, exactly what Dan Slott was going for, and he pulled it off in a really fantastic way. Had the issue been measured and controlled, it wouldn't have been nearly as effective in making you feel Spock's frantic frustration in losing his grip. Oh, and I love Slot's nod to Gwen Stacy's death when Spidey 2099 saves Normie from the falling car and Liz complains he could have snapped Normie's neck. It was a great reversal and one of those little things that makes me enjoy Slot's penchant for referencing spider lore at every turn. So, Mark, uh, what do you think about this email? Um, I mean, I, thank you very much for, for explaining it. And, I, you know, I don't disagree with, with what you're saying. I mean, but, you know, like sometimes it, it's, it just comes down to instinctively does something work for you or not? And and while I understand that obviously they're, they're, they're starting, you know, Stan Slot was putting the pieces into place for the the puzzle pieces to start falling apart for, for Spider-Rock here, uh, it's still – it still felt very circuitous. Circuitous. Uh, can, that's one of those words I can't say, Dan. It still felt very disjointed. There you go. That's a better word uh, about how it was told. I mean, I felt like it, it, we were jumping way too much. We were we were having ideas that just got no development whatsoever. And and you know, I, I maintain more or less what I thought about the issue. I I, I, I get what you're saying, but it. Doesn't change me. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm the same way. I think I think you're right about Slot's intention with the issue, but I don't think it's pulled off correctly because to me it doesn't feel like a superior Spider-Man storyline, but a 2099 one. Like he seems to be the main character of this issue, and if it was all superior Spider-Man getting caught up in doing things, I agree I would have felt that, but that was not how I I took away from it. Um, uh, and. I think um, all the issues in this, you know, arc, cre- uh, you know, and, and created by this issue um, of Superior Spider-Man, he uses none of his intellect in addressing any of these situations. He just goes in and punches twenty ninety nine, and to me, it felt starkly different from the guy who had like planned everything out so spectacularly in issues before. Though I guess it could serve to highlight that he is a master planner and not actually great at working on the fly. 
Um, but one thing I do want to address that you brought up that I thought was really cool is the um, the neck snapping thing and the go limp. Um, you know, I never picked up on that. And if it, it was an intentional reference back to Gwen's death, like go slot. But I did think that that whole situation was really organic, like or inorganic. I mean, um, because Superior Spider-Man causes that whole problem. Like it's just like inventing a problem just so you can make a point. And okay, I guess that works, but it doesn't feel satisfying to me. Yeah, and 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 the and the the kind of frenetic nature of the issue still doesn't change the fact that like you have Tiberius throwing himself off a building to establish a point that we already knew, and that yeah. he already knew, or that you know we have MJ kind of coming on just to literally remind us that she's here. Um, yeah, and I think I mean, those things would work if it was a superior Spider-Man story, but I don't think it is. Right. Um, so, but again, we, we do thank you for, for the feedback and, and, you know, we, it's, it's good to get some pushback then, right? Yeah. We welcome everyone to write us letters as wonderfully written as this one. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we get to our classic review? Amazing Spider-Man 33, the third part of the If This Be My Destiny arc, the final chapter, as it says on the front. Um, you know, I, I, Dan, I kind of feel like for a Spider-Man podcast to talk about this comic book, it's almost like if, uh, you know, for one of your movie podcasts, if you decided to give a review of something, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a nice little comparison, yeah. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the, the definitive Stan Lee, Steve Ditko comic book, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if it's my personal favorite of all time. And I did my list, uh, in December or in January, I believe it ranked in at number four. And that's only because, I mean, you know, there's stuff that came out in, in my lifetime that just has a little more personal significance to me. But like looking at this from a straight up, like who is Spider-Man? What is Spider-Man about? What, what, why do we love Spider-Man? This comic is it, right? Yeah, and um, and I will say the counter to you. If I am to remove nostalgia, um, as a child, my favorite issue was like three seventy five. But you know, I, I still enjoy that issue. It's not my favorite issue. Um, but as a kid, I got a book um, of the best Spider Man stories, and it had some really great stories in it. Like um, Spectacular one ninety nine was in there, um, and uh, three fifty, the fight with the lizard was in there. Um, but uh, this one was in there, and this is the one I read the most. And to this day, other than Amazing Fantasy 15, I think this is my favorite Spider-Man comic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you haven't read this issue or the or the two that precede it, I mean, you know, go out and find it right now. I'm sure you can you can get it on Marvel Unlimited if you have that. You can uh, download it through Comicology. I'm sure. Um, I mean, this is. This is just Spider-Man in a nutshell. I mean, we, we talk about 
the relatability of the character and and with great power must come great responsibility and and this is the situation i mean if you you know for those who are uninitiated he the the comic opens with him being buried under tons of steel and rubble after a battle with doc ock and his and his goons his army of goons and um you know just like within grasp but is a serum that he needs to save his aunt may who is sick because of his uh peter's radioactive blood that he gave her and he has to fight his way through these impossible odds and the you know the visual to this day and i'm getting a little goosebumps even just talking about it right now is him lifting steel and the wreckage off of him and you know the caption is you know anybody can anybody can be a hero and you know when the odds are in your favor but you know it's it's about what happened how do you overcome insurmountable odds and it's been spider-man's historic um ability to do that that has made him the this iconic character i mean every other great spider-man story that's followed you know nothing can stop the juggernaut the the Moreland the Moreland uh, JMS story, um, I mean, on and on and on has just go has, back to that spread double page spread from uh, issue nineteen. Well, exactly. I mean, it all has roots in that scene. I mean, this is like, I mean, you know, if if Spider Man can overcome that, what can't he overcome? And and that's why you know whenever you you know any writer or an artist says put the odds against him. You 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 can always believe he will someday prevail, which is why you know with you know with Superior he will someday prevail because we have Amazing Spider-Man thirty-three. My opinion. Yeah, um, and I think the art does a lot to reinforce that. I think this is the best layout work ever to be found in a comic book. Period, um, which I think is probably a, a, a lofty claim. But um, you know, as Spider-Man struggles against the weight overhead. The panels slowly grow in size, like he's being crushed by the panels in the beginning. And as he fights, they get bigger and bigger until, in a brilliant like decision from Steve Ditko, he heaves it off of his body during doing a full page spread. You know, like and you get that release. You know, as a reader, you're like, can get that breath of air. Finally, we have a an unfettered image where he is finally throwing this steel from his body. And the rest of the book, too, is perfect because, you know, there's a scene where Spider-Man is in the water and he has so weakened, he has to just kind of go with the flow of the water. And, and that's how you feel as a reader, too. You know, your eye is, is flowing through the page with how Dicko is guiding you through um, with, you know, his line work. Um, and it's just brilliant, you know. Um, I, yeah. I love reading this book. Yeah, I mean, and, and something that I've always found interesting is the – the antagonist for this arc, Doc Ock, he's nowhere to be found in this comic, and you don't need him. I mean, we have some of his henchmen that attack him once it's out of the wreckage, but you know, like Doc Ock becomes inconsequential because that's not what Peter has to overcome at this point. You know, it's it's it, you know, Doc Ock sets it all up by you know when 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 their fight leads to him being crushed, but. You know, it, it's 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 un, his his presence is unnecessary in this comic. Like, there's there's so much drama from everything else that you don't even miss the villain, which is like so odd for a comic book from the Silver Age. It's always been about the villain, you know, the especially a Marvel comic, the kooky, crazy villains. I mean, you know, but not here, and you don't need it. Yeah, and what's also missing is kind of the spidery aspects of Spider-Man. There's no, like, gimmicks in this issue of, like, oh, I rigged up a blah, 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 you know? Um, it, this one is – it emphasizes the man 
over the like superpowers. I mean, certainly he lifts things off, but he's not lifting it like you don't really feel like he's lifting it because he got bit by a spider. He's lifting it because of his sheer willpower su- to succeed. You know, like he will succeed because he's a man who fights more than he will succeed because he's a superhero, you know? Right, right. And of course, you know, another little interesting tidbit, I mean, you know, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko get the collaborative credit. I mean, Ditko, this is a, Ditko pretty much ran this issue, right? Yeah, this is when they were fighting and he would just turn in his pages to Stan and Stan would just like look over them. I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to have these just dropped on your door, you know, like these pages to say like write text on this. Like I would feel like sacrosanct touching these, but obviously I, it's is in hindsight, um, but uh, I think Stan's work here is still really good. He knows exactly how to balance the art. But, I mean, this is Dicko's show. Yeah. And then just in terms of the emotional resonance of the story itself, I mean, I know when you interviewed Paul Jenkins in Baltimore, he used this blueberry pie analogy. Do, do, do you care? Would you care to kind of talk a little bit about that in relation to this issue? Yeah. I mean, uh, the idea of the blueberry pie, if you haven't listened to that episode, and I, and I suggest you do, is that – you know, we have a scene where Peter has to get home and deliver a blueberry pie intact to Aunt May or she'll know he's Spider-Man. And along the way, the Green Goblin is trying to stop him. And suddenly we care so much about this blueberry pie. It doesn't need to be the weight of the world. You know, it can just be something as simple as a blueberry pie. And here it's this serum, you know, like it's just out of arm's reach. He needs to hold on to it against, you know, all you know ends. When these goons come to fight him. He doesn't even think about it. He just lashes out at them, and we care so much about this serum, you know. When we almost care about more about the serum than we do about Peter, like we want—that's what he needs to do to get it back there. And some little thing can become so important. Um, the, uh, the MacGuffin, as um, Hitchcock um, claimed. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And yeah, I mean that scene with him fighting the henchman is fantastic. I mean, it's like it's almost like he blacks out. He's in so much. He's so, so much rage and so determined that you know, and then all of a sudden he opens his eyes and it's like, oh, they're all down. <laughs> what, <laughs> like, what's, I did that. what's great about it too is Dicko doesn't allow us to see what he's doing; it becomes a blur, and so we're just as shocked as Spider-Man is. It t- truly puts you in his place, you know, as a reader, and that might be what makes this comic so powerful. Is it's like. You can be in awe of Spider-Man, but you as a reader are experiencing being Spider-Man at the same time. Like you are only like getting what he gets. You know, your 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 panels are are small and constraining just like he feels. And when he's punching these guys, you don't get to see him punching them because he's not experiencing it either. And it truly puts you into that mindset, I think. Yeah. So Dan, we like this comic. Uh, no, no, no. We, we don't like this comic. We love this comic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> What's your grade? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfair. It's an 11 yeah. out of 10. There you go. This one goes to 11. So, yeah, again, like seriously, if you have not read this issue or, or ASM 31 or 32 to get the full sense of the arc, um, you, you, you know, you just need to do it. I mean, we won't we won't go as far as say you're not a Spider-Man fan. But seriously, if you're a Spider-Man fan, you haven't read this. Go read it right now. Yeah, it's one of the funny things is I when I got that book of all the best comics of, you know, of Spider-Man, they only had this issue. They didn't have the two lead-ups to it. And I don't think I ever really cared. Like this issue is so good. And and just on a on a very very personal note, um when I when I started blogging, I had been kind of like blogging privately if there is such a thing. Uh in other words, not promoting my post in any way um for about a month or two and I got this issue 
as one of my, you know, as part of one of my monthly hauls of Spider-Man comics. And this was writing about this comic was the reason why I kind of made chasing amazing, a more public presence. So, you know, maybe if we didn't have this, uh, if I didn't own it, eh, you would not have chasing amazing, which I know would make you distraught. Right, Dan? Yeah. And it killed me for a long time because I had 31 and 32 and Uh-oh. I didn't have 33. It was a huge hole. I just couldn't find it anywhere. And I was like, I want that comic. I am going to find that comic. And I eventually did. I tracked it down to someone who was trying to get rid of it and drove to their house and purchased it hand, cash in hand to them to pick up the comic. So About how long ago was that? That was about nine months ago. Oh, okay. So, so fairly it's a, recent. It's a recently uh, acquired issue for me. That's interesting. I mean, I just, I think I just did the old my comic shop thing, <laughs> but, but I found it was like a good, very good and everything checked out and, you know, my comic shop, that's a, that's a sponsorship if I, if I could ever think of one, right, Dan? There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, so why don't, why, why don't we get into our, our goodbyes, so longs and farewells? Well, of course, you can find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.podomatic.com or... And preferentially, you can find us on iTunes by searching Superior Spider Talk. And if you do, please leave a rating and comment and let us know how we're doing. And like we just did, we'll read it on the air. If you have any opinions on these comics that we've discussed today, like Amazing Spider-Man 33, or any questions, email them to us at superiorspidertalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air. And also make sure that you check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash superior spider talk because it's a really cool place to find us in between shows. Uh, we'll put up articles from Chasing Amazing and other stuff that Dan's working on. Um, and also we'll put up breaking news about the Spider-Man universe. And of course, it's also a good way to get in touch with us. So um, check out our Facebook site. Yeah, I'm going to be putting up a free comic code for the second part of the Arms of the Octopus on there this week so keep an eye out for that oh that sounds good um that's very good um so uh dan where can we find you beyond this podcast of course you can always find me on twitter at at dan gavazdin and you can go to my movie review site at grindmyreels.com excellent and else you can find me at www.chasingamazingblog.com follow me on twitter at chasing asm blog uh there's gimmick or good at comic should be good uh i got a uh in the during the week running up to the movie uh thor 2 i should have a piece on sequart.org about the origins of thor and kind of his early identity crisis between god superhero and regular average man which I think will be a little fun piece to read. And um, I also just wanted to throw out this there. If you if you follow me on Twitter, on Facebook um, in November, I'm t- actually going to take some reader requests for arcs to follow on Chasing Amazing. You know, if you've got a favorite Spider-Man story that I, that you haven't seen me uh, cover in the past, which you can check by looking at the uh, checklist tab on my website, uh, shoot me a note or, or tweet at me, and uh, I, I will do everything in my power to review it. I know Dan has his request in. Yeah, I will always request War of the Reptiles. Come on, it's the best story. I, you know, I said I liked Amazing Spider-Man 33, but not as much as I like War of the Reptiles. So you heard it here first, everybody. If you get a War of the Reptiles review in about a month, you can blame Dan Gavazdin. Hey, Mark, I got a, a phone call the other day from a mutual friend of ours. Oh, yeah? I, I bet I know who it was. I bet it was our Uncle Ben who wanted to always remind us, with great podcasts, must come. Superior Spider Talk. Superior Spider Talk.